Hi everyone, Chuck Gatica here for a Healthier Michigan podcast. In the upcoming episodes, we'll feature conversations from the Mackinac Policy Conference, which centers around the theme, the power of and. This theme encourages dialogue among speakers and attendees, emphasizing the importance of an inclusive approach for Michigan's policy solutions. By bridging divides and fostering nuanced thinking, the concept of the power of and promotes unity, progress, and benefits across various sectors in the state. We're continuing our conversations with conference attendees and hope you enjoy these bonus episodes. On this episode, we'll focus on the power of business and philanthropy in Detroit. We'll talk with Invest Detroit Senior Vice President, Operations and Policy, Jennifer Hayes. Greektown Neighborhood Partnership Board President, Athena Pappas. Eastern Market Partnership President, Dan Carmody. And Michigan Humane President and CEO, Matt Pepper. First up is Senior Vice President, Operations and Policy of Invest Detroit, Jennifer Hayes. Good to see you. Good to see you. You having a good time? Excellent time. And what does that mean here for people? Because I know there's a lot of uh, meet and greet going on, but is this a powerful place for you to be? You know, it is. Here at Invest Detroit, we have really prioritized public policy and really looking at it as how does it help us do more of our work and reach more of the people we serve. And so it's a great way for us to talk with a lot of partners and legislators and help us do some really great policy work while we're here. And maybe that's a good place to start. Explain what Invest Detroit is. Sure. So Invest Detroit is a nonprofit community development financial institution. So we, the simple way that I like to explain it to folks is we offer lending um, loans and different financial resources to folks that aren't able to get it through traditional financing opportunities. And so we help support a lot of the small businesses and real estate projects in the city of Detroit. We also have a statewide early stage venture fund that provides startup capital to startups all over the state of Michigan. So it's really great work. We're excited. And you, is it recently you received a grant, a pretty big one, $50 million? We did. So last year as part of the federal CDFI fund um, through the new market tax credit program, we received our largest allocation to date, which was $50 million. We are beyond thrilled. I mean, the impact that it's going to have on the city of Detroit and the projects and what it means for jobs and redevelopment is, is huge. So when that happens, do current interest rates still impact your loaning ability or the interest rates that, you know, I may want to get as a small business owner or Are you able to be independent then and set your own rates? That's a really good question. So from the new market tax credit side, we are driven by some of the markets when it relates to the rates we get on the new market loans that go in there. From an Invest Detroit standpoint, we get to control the rates that we have on our products beyond um, separate from the new market tax credit programming. We are impacted a little bit by you know, interest rates in the community, but we're yeah. actually pretty stable in what we're able to provide short and long term, which is really exciting. But the new market stacks that come in the projects are a little more influenced by, I would say, the economy and the interest rates. And when you look at our communities in general, but maybe more in particular, low income communities in Detroit and across the state, even a portion of money like that can be sizable and the impact can just ripple right out. It right? Can. I would say without new market tax credit, programs in 
this type of funding coming into Detroit, some of the projects that you see would never be able to happen. Like what? So I can give you a couple examples of the projects yeah. that we're working on. So what, from our last award, um, we received a smaller allocation of about $15 million, and we were able to do a couple of really great things. One, we support an organization called My Locker. And it is going to create almost 500 jobs for Detroiters. Um, It's located in Corktown. Great, great company. The second thing we did with that is we allocated over $6 million for what we call a small fund. And it supported three projects in the Livernoy-McNichols neighborhood, right on McNichols, that are also projects that are part of our strategic neighborhood fund. And without those, we would have had to invest, we would have had to put in more capital. So it allowed us to kind of pair a couple different programs. Mm -hmm. And all three of those companies are led by black developers, emerging developers, and are going to be instrumental to kind of the growth in that neighborhood. So those are just examples of our last award. And our current award is even more exciting. So So when you go to partner with other groups, if you're walking in, you're carrying a pretty big stick. And that has to have, I don't even know how to explain it. I guess it, it not only brings credibility to a project, but it may want, other partners may say, oh, you're in, so we're in. That's right. I yeah. think it allows other partners and other people beyond just the CDFI community to be interested, to be willing, and to take, I mean, a lot of these projects, the numbers don't work, right? So you're yeah. you're bringing in capital to help make the projects work. And I think it allows people to be more open to coming in and supporting investment, especially in Detroit. And oftentimes maybe it's that they don't work yet. Right, right? exactly. And then, and then the metrics may be that more in human capital than an actual yep. dollar. Yep, and then you get special tools like this that really help put, kind of put it over the finish line. Yeah. So what other projects would you see in the horizon that you're able to talk about? Sure. So with our $50 million allocation that we just got, we've just closed on our first two transactions. And one of them happens to be a really exciting project. It's called The Ribbon. Um, It's led by developer Eddie Carrington. It's in the East Warren neighborhood. It also happens to be one of our neighborhood projects for the Strategic Neighborhood Fund. So this is an example of partnering our, you know, new market tax credit program and our SNF program and, you know, minority-led it's going to bring in affordable units. It's a project that is actually supported by Blue Cross Blue Shield as our neighborhood partner. They've also provided some funding for the park that's in that neighborhood. And we have four other SNF projects in that corridor. So that's an example of really a catalytic project in the East Warren neighborhood that's going to lead to other developments as well. So when I see you sharing this in person, there's an obvious excitement. Does that extend itself to optimism about the future of the city and our communities? I can say personally I am, and I think I can speak for our team to say yes. I think this is a really big tool for us to make projects that are difficult to make happen. And I think you know, with the economy we're seeing, projects are taking longer to do, they're mm-hmm. more expensive, and having one tools like this, but having the community and the partners that we have, we're really making a difference in these neighborhoods. And it's exciting to be able to leverage developers and small businesses from those communities that get to have projects and businesses in their own communities. And to see that for them is so rewarding to be part of a team that gets to do that. So looking more long-term, because we're, we're kind of talking past, present, and future in these episodes, what do you see? What's the vision? So uh, we still have a pretty big allocation left from our 50 million, and I know our team is currently looking at how do we continue to support projects in the neighborhood led by black developers? How does it align with our strategic neighborhood work so we can continue to leverage other programming? Um, we also want to make sure we're focused on job creation. So we're it's not just about 
about redevelopment. It's also mm -hmm. making sure we've got jobs for Detroiters. So I know we have a really robust pipeline that our team's currently evaluating. And one of the challenges with the new market tax credit program is you, you can't really get the next award unless you've allocated all of it. And so we're really making sure we've got shovel ready projects so we can get the money out the door so we can keep applying for it year oh, over Oh, that's year. interesting. Yeah. 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 So we really want to keep a robust pipeline in making sure the projects keep moving forward. And that helps you keep getting awards year over year. So am I saying this wrong? You have to start to run out of money before you get more? Exactly. So you exactly. kind of get to the edge of the cliff and have you to do. sort of jump in yeah. a way, right? And that, But I think that also shows, I think, what a great community Detroit is. There yeah. are so many partners that we work with, whether it's the, the team at the city, some of our other CDFI partners, just yeah. other partners about, you know, what projects mean a lot to the neighborhoods and in the different communities and how do we prioritize those as they're getting ready? And so we can continually be looking forward in our pipeline and supporting the needs that come. Well, your optimism is contagious. I'm glad you shared I'm some glad. of it with us. Yeah. I'm glad. No, it's, it's great work and it's great to see the impact we're having in neighborhoods. Well, good to have you here. Thank you. I appreciate you having us. Yeah, Jennifer Hayes, Senior Vice President, Operations and Policy of Invest Detroit. Take good care. Thank you. Next up is Board President of the Greektown Neighborhood Partnership, Athena Pappas. Good to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Are you enjoying the conference so far? Yes, it's great, and the weather is lovely, so I'm really happy that... Uh, Isn't it like natural air conditioning turned on? Isn't that great? I'm really happy about it, yes. So talk about the Greektown Neighborhood Partnership, because I know this is an urban planning initiative that's got great ideas of what can happen moving forward in a place that we all think of as just iconic. Yes, well, in about in 2019, we began a study which um, with some consultants, which evolved into the Greektown um vision framework plan and it was a group of the stakeholders in uh, the Greektown area all privately funded they got together to put together this this vision plan for um, the future mm. uh, we recognize and value and appreciate the treasure that Greektown is to the city and as a second generation business owner in the district really want to continue to see it thrive for the next you know 20 years for, for my kids to see yeah so um, we're kind of in the second phase of this with more of a plan in place with a streetscape improvement plan, which takes the street down to uh, one lane and curbless sidewalks, wide widening the street uh, oh, or wow. the sidewalks to um, increase pedestrian traffic and be able to do a lot of different events and closures um, and really kind of plan experiences for people to come visit. Now, I know part of this idea, sorry, of uh, open spaces is adding open spaces. And when I think of Greektown, I'm trying to envision, like, where can that go? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few spaces where we can add some more um, kind of public space. But what we're really looking at is creating more area in the street and widening the sidewalks. Mm -hmm. They have more outdoor cafes, adding bollards uh, at each end of kind of each block okay. to be able to do some programming, some family-friendly activities, and really continue to grow and expand and build on the legacy that it, you know, is already there. So do you see this idea of density of people being able to live there, work and play as being a key to this? Absolutely. Uh, when we did our study uh, one of, in 2019, one of the key components was residential. Okay. Um, and we're really fortunate, actually, just by somewhat a fluke, I would say, uh, you know, we have a 16-story residential building that's almost finished called the Exchange right at kind of the corner of the district. And so that ties into everything yeah. that we're doing. You know, Monroe Street, we envision as kind of a main street where people can come down and, you know, visit all the restaurants regularly, more so than just 
you know, what it is today. And we were, we've been talking about connectivity in so many different ways already, and that's part of, you know, what goes on at this conference. Everybody's trying to connect. Sure. But that idea of walkability, how is that stretching out then beyond Greektown to surrounding areas? How do you see this becoming a cohesive effort for the city? For sure. Uh, that is actually a, one of our huge kind of purposes is on the corner of Monroe and Randolph, there's a plaza area, and you can see campus marshes from there. So we really want to develop that area, which we already have plans, and hopefully in 2024 um, season we'll be able to kind of implement those plans. And so you can look at Campus Marshes and walk down the street and see Greektown and, and, you know, adding greenery and tree canopies and things like that to really invite you down um, yeah. and to walk over. And even as you go through this plan and all your dreams come true, there's never a chance it's not called Greektown. No. But <laughs> I mean, it's you know, always going to be what we know. There's such a history and legacy, yeah. and part of our planning is, you know, taking advantage of the culture and the various cultures. I mean, it was started actually with German immigrants in the district, and then Greece came in, and there was also a part. It was part of Black Bottom as well. So yeah. There's a lot of rich cultural history that and heritage that we definitely want to embrace. You know, we have three different places of worship in the district. You know, Second Baptist Church was the last stop on the Underground Railroad. I just visited you know, there came, about three months ago. It's amazing. It's a, yeah, it is. Yeah, it really yeah. is. And then we have St. Mary's Cathedral, which is iconic. And then we have yeah. the Annunciation Cathedral, which is the Greek Orthodox kind of church at the end. So there's a lot of different history and culture. Uh, certainly keeping Greektown, some semblance of the Greek history is really important to myself and a number of the families that own the property. But we also recognize that we want to embrace all the other heritage, too. I used to have an old friend. He, he uh, sadly has passed in his mid-80s. But he used to say, there's no way a Main Street cannot see a steeple. And when you think about Greek, yeah. I mean, you really are your own little town within a city, right? Yeah. So yeah. to expand and, and uh, spread your wings is really something I, we should all look forward to. Yeah, well, I hope so. And in, certainly the walkability and connectivity to other districts is really important because mm -hmm. as a city kind of grows and develops and continues to do so, you know, we definitely want to involve with all of the exciting changes, too. Yeah, well, it's good to have you with us, and thanks for sharing that vision. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. Athena Pappas, who's board president of Greektown Neighborhood Partnership. Glad that you were with us. Thank you. Thanks. Next is president of the Eastern Market Partnership, Dan Carmody. Good to see you. Good morning to you, sir. Well, what a fabulous conference. You enjoying it? Yeah. It's like uh, July out here. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's really nice. So the Eastern Market Corporation, EMC, is partnering with developers on uh, four affordable housing projects in the Market District. Can you explain what's going on there? Because I know it's got a few off-ramps, right? Correct. So this goes back to our 10-year strategy we developed to really secure the future of Eastern Market. And, and I think Eastern Market is one of those places that is, at least we find, truly beloved by a lot of Detroiters. And the authenticity of the district is something that people hold dear. And, yeah. and how we define that authenticity is really, it's about food. It's about a place where people with limited means go to start a business or get a job. And it's a place where everybody feels welcome, regardless of their place in life, their income, their employment. And so how do we preserve those things over time? Because we've watched as other market districts around the country disappeared when real estate conditions changed and all of a sudden the real estate became valuable for other things. So I've been in this job 15 years when I started. There were market districts in Washington, D.C. and Chicago that looked a lot like us that today are nothing but high-end condos or wow. corporate office parks. So we wanted to avoid that. So for us, we worked with the city to do a major framework plan for the market core, which we, the old historic part that people would know as Eastern Market, and then also to take advantage of a lot of largely vacant land just east and northeast of the market to expand the market. Hmm. That gives us the chance to do two things. One is 
create about a million square feet of new food production, processing, and or distribution space, but through innovative use of stormwater management greenways, buffer that space to create some places for people to live in a neighborhood where they could actually walk to work. And so since there's a lot of entry-level positions in some of the food businesses, it's an opportunity for people starting out in life, perhaps with minimal skills, that they could get a place to live that's decent, safe, yeah. affordable, and, and walk to work. And, that, and that's creation of household wealth when you don't have to not only have a car payment, but more importantly, not have a car insurance payment. And so we're working with three different developers on four projects, the total of about 300 affordable housing units, generally between 30 and 70% of area median income. The first one is uh, in line with funding at Mishta to build 50-ish, 55, I think, workforce housing units on a place at the south end, it's basically Wilkins and St. Aubin, that would be separated by Greenway from our planned regional distribution center for Michigan, Ohio, and Ontario farmers. So truly trying to demonstrate this plan that I just talked yeah. about, and hopefully with construction starting next year. We have a similar project. We, as a nonprofit, purchased a former Campbell School site where, with the same developer, Pivotal out of Cincinnati, we want to build 100-ish units of senior housing and then repurpose the school as actually an early childhood education center. So I have a multi-generational campus. The early childhood education center, critical as a workforce development tool because the two big things that keep people from going back to their job is either transportation or care for small children. So if we can solve the transportation problem by having a walkable neighborhood and solve the childcare problem by having a quality, affordable infant to preschool coverage, we're thinking holistically about how to create generational wealth in a neighborhood that you know once was a thicket of single bungalow houses that there's two or three left. So yeah. we're trying to, trying to make sure that those who've stuck it out this far aren't displaced by this work that we're doing, but that we grow jobs and we grow the neighborhood at the same time. But isn't it wonderful to think about the richness of the multiple generations that can be there? Absolutely. I mean, not just for the, you know, in a fun way of thinking that a senior can ask a young person, what is Siri? You know, you can have some <laughs> reverse mentoring, right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> but there's just so much that comes from that in a neighborhood where you're all, there can be grandmas and grandpas because part of that village is taking care of everybody, right? And it just seems like a wonderful idea. So so for us, you know, it's balancing. We don't want to be primarily about housing. We still want to be primarily about food, but there's place to do both and integrate it in a way that I think is more holistic and leads to a healthier, wealthier, and uh, happier community. But that mainstay of focusing on food is there. And yet for many of us, we have memories. I know I'll go back just in the past five years. I was at a gala for the St. Joseph Shrine, which is in our neighborhood, in the neighborhood, right? They're attracting 700 people a weekend from outside Detroit, many of them. You've got uh, wedding receptions, at least two I've been to in the past five years, right? So there's the vibe of what Eastern Market really is, which gives it the authenticity. And yet the wings are wider because there are so many other reasons, you know, flowers and all kinds of things. One of our marketing challenges is Eastern Market means so many different things to so many different yeah. people in a good way. I'm right, not, you know, right. But we are about food. We still, you know, we have a lot of people don't know. We still have a six day a week overnight wholesale market that moves 36 million pounds of food. Wow. That's, that's why we want to build a, a new distribution center, because we're still using 18th century technology to do that. It's wild. They've they've invented these things called docks and refrigeration (laughs) that our farmers could kind of use. And and so we got $12 million from the state last year. The reason we couldn't build a a new state-of-the-art facility is because our farmers only operate six, seven months a year. They can't pay rent 12 months a year. So we needed grant support to do that. We hope to be in the ground building that next year. And we also, at the market, 
Corporation have done a lot of work in incubating and accelerating what we would call value-added food makers, so pierogies, jams, jellies, those kinds of things. And we have several different projects to cut the cost of space to give those early entrepreneurs a chance to succeed. So again, these are all important and they're all interrelated. We work a lot on the last mile food access to get uh, nutrient-dense food to poor people, particularly these households that may not be able to access it either through uh, distribution of food in the neighborhoods that don't have a grocery store, yeah. or through the distribution of benefits to cut the cost, or through the distribution of information that allows people to remember how to cook, myself included, where after a couple of generations, grandma would be pretty embarrassed by my culinary <laughs> skills. All three of those are important to actually affect a diet change. We saw during the pandemic what happens when we have such a high incidence of type 2 diabetes, the comorbidity with uh, the pandemic was sure. startling. And so we saw at the market people beginning to buy more fruits and vegetables in response to trying to strengthen their immune systems, which we think is is important part as building affordable housing. Well, and if you're right there where that food, as you mentioned, is resourced, you're not buying all of your groceries at a party store or a gas station. You're just not eating all that processed stuff. And that, yeah, We have a national epidemic of type 2 diabetes, and it's mostly caused by our diet. Have you encountered any other roadblocks that are not moved out of the way? Because it sounds like, not that it's smooth sailing, but it sounds like you have figured out ways to go from A to B. And Well, it's been a long journey, and yeah. I, wish, I wish it went quicker. But we, you know, as part of this journey, we had to rezone 2,000 parcels, and that's been accomplished. And now, as I say, the first two projects that we hope in the food district expansion would be a local meat processing company wants to build a 140,000 square foot facility to expand its presence. And, and that was the primary driver for the expansion, because if we don't provide these sites, there's no place in the city of Detroit they're going to stay. Yeah. And so they currently have 300 jobs. They hope to add 150 jobs. So that project, the north end of what we call the food innovation zone or the expansion area, and then our farmer distribution center at the south end, those bookends, then we can 10 to 20 years to kind of fill in between them. It's about a 25-acre piece of ground. So Okay. But again, it's trying to go down the path in parallel fashion with job-creating activities as well as strengthening the commercial mix so that it's still the neighborhood that has product for people regardless of their income. Yeah. At the same time as adding housing at price points that anybody, regardless of income, can afford to live in the neighborhood. And we, we have private developers doing some market rate housing. That's fine. But we, we as a nonprofit are focused on working with other developers to make sure that those entry-level workers have a place to live in the market just as much as people that have higher incomes. Well, exciting times for Eastern Market and for Detroit and, and the region. We are the last major urban food district left in the country at a time when most cities wish they had a little bit more focus on food because what we have experienced the last 50 years with dependence on California or the rest of the world for our fruits and vegetables may not be so reliable in the next 50 years. And so places like Michigan or New Jersey that had a rich vegetable history, we better get better at it again. And Eastern Market is, is one of the keys to doing that. Well, thanks for your time. Good My to see pleasure. you. My pleasure. Dan Carmody, president of uh, Eastern Market Partnership. Take good care. And finally, president and CEO of Michigan Humane, Matt Pepper. Good to see you again. Good to see you as well. The dogs say hello. Then thank you very much. I was going to ask you for pictures, but that doesn't go well over a no, podcast. No, pictures so. are fine. and uh, We've got them trained to ring the bell to go out. So All right. if you hear any bells, you'll know that they're close. you got to have me teach me how to do that for my dogs. <laughs> so we're glad that you're with us. You know, through 2030, there's this um, 
What, is it considered a program, this community effort that you've got going on? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of programs that yeah. are turning into initiative. And, and what it's about is when you think about pets, sometimes I think we don't appropriately value the impact they have on our lives in terms of creating more healthy communities, yeah. safer neighborhoods, how much they impact the economy, how much people, if you're in your 20s, you make life decisions where to live based on your pets and, and pet accommodating facilities. Um, but the reality is, if you look at Detroit and Metro Detroit, there are some pockets of really good you know, pet-friendly spaces, but the reality is, it's not a really inviting place for pets and pet owners, and what we want to do is change that. We want to create Detroit to be one of the most humane communities in the country by 2030, and the impact of that is not just on the pets, it's on the people. And that's what we're excited about. So when you talk about health and wellness, is it because my dog, and I always say it this way, my dog is taking me for a walk, but it's true. I mean, I'll come back and look and it'd be like, oh, I got 4,000 steps out of that deal alone. Yeah, there was, there was a report that came out last week that said pet ownership saves $22.7 billion a year in healthcare costs. Wow. And, and that's exactly why it is. It's that, you know, I may not want to go for a walk, uh, but the dog needs to get out. You're yeah. 31% more likely to be active if you have a pet. You're 35% less likely to die of heart attack or stroke. All of these factors, your emotional stability is better. Sure. All of those things keep you out of the hospital and keep you healthy. So was it last week, I think, I saw a headline to a study. It wasn't that uh, half of America considers their pets their significant other, but half of America thinks that's their soulmate. I mean, to yeah. your point, yeah. I, I, my dogs kiss me on the lips. Yep. Sorry, I'm just saying. And I never get sick. I think that's the reason. Yep. I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every day, right? Yeah. Well, that's that's sort of, that's, it's odd. not only do they provide this emotional stability and real physical impacts on our life and well-being, yeah. but that's, you're getting into the, the how people make choices. So 44% of people in their 20s in the last couple of years bought a house for the dog they might get or have. Wow. Not for children, not for school districts, but because it's going to have a great backyard for the dog they intend to get. And they do. They consider them starter children and absolutely members of the family. And that's part yeah. of the reason that healthcare organizations have to consider pets because pets aren't optional to people. 70% of Americans have pets and they will prioritize the needs of their pets over their own. So if we're not included, other support services aren't going to its intended purpose. So what is the goal then with this seven year ready, get, set, go hike looking at 2030? What do you propose starts to happen in Detroit? Because I'm thinking, well, there are sidewalks and there are crosswalks and what more can happen? Well, instead of just working in the community, it's working with the community. Okay. So, we're working with several communities right now, potentially uh, creating dog parks in the neighborhoods for people to have safe spaces, to have different experiences for pets. And the byproduct of that is dog parks bring people together. And when people are together, the neighborhoods are more connected. And when the neighborhoods are more connected, the neighborhoods yeah. are safer. So it's, it's working with the community on creating safe spaces, creating equitable opportunities for people to acquire pets. I mean, the reality is, you know, pet ownership can, can be expensive, but if families are better for that, then we've committed 38 million in subsidized uh, resources and medical care over the next 10 years to help support families in need because the reality is, as you saw in that study I talked about healthcare, it's cheaper for us to help keep families together with their pets than it isn't. So it's about access to care. It's about working with the community. It's about supporting pet owners where they are, keeping pets in the homes with yeah. their families where they can have that impact on the families. Did you see coming out of COVID a lot of people who rushed to get a pet and no longer were able to take care of them? Or are they hanging on to these pets? Are they really family members? They, they're absolutely family members. Yeah. And in fact, we're living sort of the byproduct of that now, which is adoptions have really slowed down because during COVID, oh. everyone got a pet. 
that and they may not be interested in adding another one. And then as things started to open up, you know, I got four kids. I had to figure out what's school going to look like for the first time ever. Yeah. People were traveling for the first time. We're hearing from our business partners that one of the biggest issues with a, with a back-to-work plan is what do I do with the pet I acquired during COVID? How do I make that work? So the reality is right now adoptions have slowed, but it's not it's not for a bad reason. It's just because people filled up with pets during COVID and they're they're living the benefits right now. So of all the things we're discussing, is that the most exciting thing, this vision for 2030? Is there something else you want to talk about? No, that, that I tell you what, that's our there's so many programs that go into it. It's our mobile vet unit, which delivers veterinary care to people who can't get uh. to the clinic. It's our work um, you know, going door to door in various communities and being the most connected organization in the city, we feel like. We have human social workers who work with us because our, our philosophy is a pet is only as safe as the family and community it lives in. So what we'll do, for example, is we'll offer you a bag of food. You can't feed your, your dog. Here, let's give you a bag of food. But then yeah. our social workers will come in and go, you know, why are we here? What else can we do? If you're struggling to feed your pet, are you struggling to feed yourself? And then we'll work with our partners over at Forgotten Harvest and Gleaners and connect them to other resources so that we can create a more stable environment for the people which in turn creates a stable environment for the pet. Yeah, that's just great. Well, uh, the dogs are barking at home, so I'm glad that, that you're here today because Thank they you. appreciate everything that you do at Michigan Humane. And thanks for this vision. Thank you. It's so important. I, I get a chuckle every time. There's some insurance company has got an ad on TV now. You may have seen it where they go into some RV park and they have the free green dog bags, you yep. know, because there's a dog park. And the guy's like, oh, they're giving away free bags. And I just thought, you know, we take stuff like that for granted at a dog park. And you're right. All of a sudden, I'm talking to somebody I've never known. And we're discussing, well, what's it like to have that breed? And all of a sudden, we have this connection in a neighborhood. It's brilliant. Yep, our pets are a window into people's lives. Yeah. Well, Matt Pepper, good to see you. Thank you, Chuck. Enjoy the conference. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to a Healthier Michigan podcast brought to you by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. If you like our show and you want to know more, check out a healthiermichigan.org slash podcast or leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To get new episodes on your smartphone or tablet, be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app.